listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Who's expecting that? <laughs> right? Keith Richards, the legendary guitar player of the Rolling Stones, tells a story about how he came up with the idea for the song Satisfaction. And the, and the story goes like this. Um, you know, in, uh, in, in 1965, Keith Richards was so focused on capturing song ideas in the moment of inspiration that he would literally take his guitar to bed with him and he would set his tape recorder on his nightstand so that uh, Keith would, do, would go to these links so that even if he had a song idea in the middle of the night, he could capture it right then and there so it wouldn't get lost, right? Uh, one morning, Keith woke up and noticed that his tape recorder had run all the way to the end. It had used up all the tape in the middle of the night. And uh, so he's like, huh, I don't, I don't remember doing anything. So he had no memory of recording anything the night before. And uh, he rewound the tape all the way to the beginning. And, and there on the tape was two whole minutes of that immortal opening guitar riff, followed by him mumbling something like, I can get no satisfaction, and then proceeded by the sound of a guitar pick drop and 45 minutes of snoring, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> this song was literally birthed in his sleep right? He had no recollection of recording it, and he just had the proof on the tape, his voice on the tape, right? And I don't think there's any way Keith could have known, even on a subconscious level, how profound the words that he mumbled in his sleep were. I can't get no satisfaction. Can't we relate to that? I mean, I... I, I Think about it. Satisfaction is a feeling of contentedness when we meet a desire that we have, right? Um, the only trouble is our desires are never ending. They're never ending. Even when we fulfill one desire, another immediately takes its place, right? Uh, think about this morning for a moment. How, how many desires did you fulfill before you left the house this morning? For me, it was a lot. When my alarm went off, I hit snooze 
because of my desire to sleep longer, right? I put on slippers because of my desire not to walk barefoot on a cold floor, right? I took a shower because I desire to feel clean and smell good, right? No, nobody wants a stinky pastor, right? I drank coffee because I desired something strong, some caffeine to fully wake up. Who, who's with me on that, right? Right. I locked the front door to my house before I left because I desire for my family to be safe while they sleep, right? And those are just a few. I'm sure I missed many, many more along the way because our desires are so many that we don't even think about satisfying them anymore. Many times we, we do it entirely subconsciously. So in our day-to-day -day life, when our desires overrun us, how do we reach the desired feeling of satisfaction, right? When, when one desire is just replaced with another and another, satisfaction becomes harder and harder to come by, right? Anybody feel that? Anybody feel that? Even in the early part of Keith Richards' career, he was a rock star. Uh, he was famous and had traveled the world. Keith had guitars, money, girls, the things any young man at that time would have dreamed of. And yet, he's mumbling in his sleep, literally, I can't get no satisfaction. It's such a profound statement. I don't even know if Keith would know this, but one of the wealthiest, wisest Kings in the Old Testament, King Solomon wrote something very similar in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, in chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 in the New Living Translation. King Solomon wrote, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in work, uh, hard work a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. I love that. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon had influence, power, more money than he could ever, ever spend not only did Solomon have lavish homes and servants, but in those days, most kings had a harem of, of women to fulfill their every need. And, and, and being a man of wisdom, after considering all these earthly so-called pleasures, he concluded that there is no lasting satisfaction to be had in any of them. They always left him wanting. And in essence, to him, it felt like trying to capture the wind. He was always running, always striving, but still left empty every time. We're in a sermon series right now called From Glory to Glory. And we're following through the accounts of Jesus's earthly ministry all the way through the book of John. Sometimes we think of Jesus' life in terms of his birth, death, and resurrection, but if we look closely at what the gospel says, which is what we are striving to do over the next several weeks, we find out that it's so much grander of a story than that. It's so much grander. 
Jesus was there on the day the sun, moon, stars, and earth were given life, but because God so loved the world, as Ricardo spoke about last week, because he so loved the world, he, he took on human life, being born as a baby, fully human, and, and yet somehow fully God. He lived a perfect, sinless life and died an unwarranted sinner's death, but death was just a rest stop. For Jesus, because he was raised to life on the day of resurrection. And Jesus then ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Birth and death wasn't the beginning and end of Jesus. Because when you look at what the Bible teaches, it teaches us that Jesus began in glory and returned to glory. He went from glory to glory, and one day he will return to the earth as king and bring every ounce of his glory with him. I'm looking forward to that day. This perspective matters because it helps us understand more clearly the cost Jesus paid for each and every one of our sins on the cross. And in this truth lies the only path to lasting satisfaction, the kind we were designed for. Jesus himself said so in an extremely unusual encounter with a Samaritan woman. If you would turn with me uh, to John chapter 4, we'll continue on this journey through the book of John. And uh, before we dive into reading this account, I want to take a few moments, though, to set the scene um, in this chapter, we find Jesus wearied, and in the middle of a long journey, Jesus and his disciples were traveling from Judea to Galilee because the Jewish religious leaders in Judea had uh, begun treating the baptisms Jesus' disciples and John the Baptist were performing like a contest. They were making it into like a race, like a contest. And, and they were tallying up all the baptisms on each side and, and figured out Jesus was in the lead. And this left like a terrible taste in Jesus's mouth. Um, so rather than make a fuss, Jesus left Galilee. Whoever has found themselves in a con competition that they didn't know that they were in. <laughs> right, right, I have. Um, and... Um, so he left, and uh, so to get to Galilee, the most direct route was through Samaria, but most Jewish men would take the long way around. They would take an extended trip along, uh, around Samaria. Uh, they would do this because in the eyes of a Jewish person, Samaritan people were like dogs, like literally filthy, unclean people who you even, if you even went near a Samaritan person, you yourself, a Jewish person, would become unclean. So the Jewish people would take the long way around Samaria to avoid encountering a Samaritan person and becoming ceremonially unclean themselves. Even back in the Old Testament, racism still alive and well, just unfortunately like it still is today. But Jesus was never one to allow other people's hangups to hinder him from doing what he came to do and loving those he came 
to love. So in this scene, we find Jesus in Samaria alone, sitting by a well, tired uh, from completing half his journey back to Galilee, when around noon, he encounters a Samaritan woman. And uh, coming to draw water from the well, Jesus was thirsty, but had no way to draw water from the well, so he does the unthinkable. Let's read. Beginning at verse 5, John chapter 4. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well's deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So let's stop right there for a moment and gain some perspective on what we just read. In this period, and, and by the cultural standards, this would have been nothing short of a scandal, for, for sure. Uh, did you notice the woman's reaction when, uh, when Jesus began to speak to her? She was stunned, right? And for a Jewish man to ask to drink from a Samaritan's water vessel, especially if that Samaritan was a woman, this would be unheard of in this culture, and Jesus asks the woman for a drink, and she responds in shock. But Jesus replies to her by saying, if you knew about me, if you knew who I truly am, you would be asking me for a drink. And the water that I would give to you is living and active, and you would never be thirsty again. And there's so much more going on here than just two people talking about water, right? Jesus is using this moment by the well that they're both sharing in to speak to this woman about satisfaction, right? It's, it's not really about the water at all as it is so many other times with Jesus, the thing is not the thing, right? <laughs> the woman doesn't quite get it. She isn't picking up that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. She's, she's thinking Jesus has 
access to some magical well in Asgard or something. And, and because she points out that he has no way to pull the water out from the well, then, then she asks him a critical question, right? Um, where do you get this water? Veiled in logic and sarcasm, there was a sign of interest, right? An actual question, and followed by basically asking Jesus what makes him so special, right? And then Jesus says this, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Still not getting it, but starting to believe, right? The woman then asks, sir, give me this water so I won't, have to, I won't be thirsty and never have to lug this water vessel around anymore up to the well. Like the woman wants physical water for a physical thirst, but Jesus is offering her satisfaction beyond that. The Bible notes that, that uh, this was all happening around noon, which is, is odd, in fact, because most women usually drew water from the well in the early morning or in the evening because it was coolest then. If you are going to fill a large vessel full of water and lug it all the way home uh, to the well and back, you certainly don't want to do it in the hottest part of the day, right? That doesn't make sense. So something is a little off here, right? Maybe there's more to this woman than meets the eye, um, so what happens next is where the story gets really juicy, all right? Who likes juicy stories? Oh, shame on all of you. Just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. All right, picking up at verse 15. <laughs> the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answers him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you know, the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman says to him something really funny. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> That's one of the funniest moments in the Bible to me, I think. The woman is still thinking Jesus was speaking of physical water. So intrigued, she asks for some of this living water, right? Jesus, in turn, asks her to go and get her husband. The woman says, um, I, don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus calls her out. But I think we need to be careful of how we read those, his words. Sometimes I think we can add our own element of judgment to Jesus's response to her, right? Um, we can read it as condemnation when I think Jesus was just revealing that he knew her, that he knew her, right? Almost like when my sons try to get something or, or try to, um, try to uh, get something by me without telling me the whole truth, right? Like, um, like I have two boys, one of them's right there and the other's in class, but um, like... Hey, Dylan, did you, did you poke your brother in the eyes? 
uh, well, Dad, I, I don't know what happened. Um, Owen was bugging me, and, and then just the next thing I know, I had arm spasms, and, and I couldn't control them. So I guess technically, yes, Father, I did poke my brother in the eyes, but not on purpose, right? Dylan, I know you. And really, that's all I have to say to him because he, he knows it's true, right? Then, then, then Dylan, most of the time, is able to let down his guard and tell me the whole truth. And I, I, I think this is kind of the context of, of Jesus' response to the woman, go and get your husband. Oh, I, I don't have a husband. Really? Because I, I know you. I know you. I think Jesus' response to the woman was just a loving way of saying, come on, be honest with me because I know you. This, this woman Jesus was speaking to had five husbands and was currently living with her boyfriend. And, and even by today's cultural standards, that's a lot of husbands, right? Um, but Jesus saw past all of that into the depths of her thirst, right? She was thirsty for something that could not be quenched by her relationships with men or even well water for that matter, right? This woman was searching for contentment, true satisfaction, something that would truly satisfy her. She was simply trying to quench her thirst with her relationships, right? But aren't Aren't we all there occasionally, every once in a while, trying to quench a spiritual thirst with things that will never truly satisfy, right? Even if you've been a Christian your whole life, I'm confident you go through at least periods of temptation to do this. Think about it. We all have this thirst inside of us that we're trying our best to quench. Some of us turn to buying something to make ourselves feel better when we're uneasy, right? We whip out the plastic and charge away and for, for things that won't last because there's always something bigger and better around the corner. There's always a new iPhone. There's always a new computer. There's always Something, there's always a bigger and better car, bigger and better house. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There's always grass is greener on the other side. That's the temptation to believe, right? And um, I, I'm honestly, I'm super guilty of this, especially when I was young. I would buy something uh, to make me feel good about myself, like a cool guitar or something. And, and before I even paid it off, I would be on to the next one, right? the next one I had to get, right? And, and I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but that's not the only thing we turn to for satisfaction. What about food? Food, right? We even, the, even the slightest amount of waves that rock our boats, we, you know, when that happens, who needs chocolate, right? Who needs chocolate to make them feel better or a fancy steak, right? Or, or just a strong drink or two, right? I must be the worst pastor ever because I can relate to that one too. Amen. <laughs> but how, 
How long do these things make us feel better before we need another? How long do they last? Till you sober up? Till you're hungry again? Till there's a new iPhone 27 plus? Not very long in my experience do these things last. And the more we try to satisfy this thirst with earthly pleasures, the less pleasure they will bring us. Just like Solomon said, it's like chasing after the wind. You always leave empty-handed. C.S. Lewis calls this chase an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. And I mean, that's worthy of writing down. I mean, nothing I'm saying is worthy of writing down, but that right there, that is worthy of writing down. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That sums it up perfectly, doesn't it? Every person in this room who has struggled with alcohol or drugs knows exactly what that feels like right? Every person in this room who has wrestled with pornography in this room knows exactly what that feels like. Every person who has been in a codependent relationship knows what that feels like. The worse the relationship gets, the stronger the feeling of need you experience for that person, right? And these examples are endless. I mean, I could just go on and on. But my point is that we weren't designed to find our satisfaction in these things because they won't last. From the day God made man out of the dust of the earth and breathed the breath of life into him, we were designed to find our satisfaction in God. We make the mistake of trying to quench a spiritual thirst with physical water. We make the mistake of allowing our desires to dictate our satisfaction and not our design. And that's why we never feel satisfied. And don't get me wrong. Not all of these desires are bad. Even desires for good can leave us wanting if they come from the wrong place. When we help people in need, if that desire comes from the wrong place, it can just serve to stroke our own egos and make us feel good about ourselves. And we know that that doesn't last because sooner or later you're going to feel bad about yourself again. It's only when our design and our desires are aligned that we will find true satisfaction. We were designed to find our contentment in God alone. And when our desires flow out of that relationship, we were designed for, only then can we trust them. Only then will we truly be satisfied. As the band comes, I, I just, after a long discussion about their differences, Jesus 
finally reveals to the Samaritan woman that he is the Messiah, the one that they have been waiting for, the Savior, right? Uh, The disciples come back to the well and find Jesus with this woman. And I'm pretty sure they had to pick their jaws up off the floor, right, when they saw what was going on. But none of, to their credit, none of them said a word. Without a word, the woman drops her water vessel and runs back into town. She says this in verse 29. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. And skipping to verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his words. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves, heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. I think it's interesting that the thing the woman was most excited about, the thing that that Jesus did for her, uh, was know her and be straight with her, right? I I mean, Jesus, other than knowing about her, Jesus didn't perform any miracles. He didn't all of a sudden make her water vessel full. He just said, I know you. And I'm gonna be straight with you. This water is not gonna satisfy you. But the water that I have will bring you lasting satisfaction. I think that's an example we could all follow a little more. After the woman left Jesus and the disciples and before she brought back the Samaritan people um, to see Jesus for themselves, Jesus has this little little interaction with the disciples that I love. And uh, they know he's tired, thirsty, and hungry from, from their journey. And, and, and they're trying to get him to eat, but Jesus says this in, in, in verses 32 and 34, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is saying doing the father's will and living in relationship with him is more satisfying than anything this earth could provide. And nothing has changed today. Nothing has changed. Every earthly pleasure is fleeting if if it doesn't flow out of the relationship we were designed for. Our relationship with God. And I wasn't I wasn't gonna share this, but I just briefly will. Um, when I was praying through this message and writing and journaling and just kind of sitting on these truths, um, the Lord gave me an image of someone lost at sea, like they were in a, 
a rescue boat or something. And, you know, they were just surrounded by this vast ocean. And they were, and they were dry. They were dehydrated. They were so thirsty. Here they are surrounded by water. But the water wasn't satisfying. No matter how much of the sea water you drink, it's still salty and gonna leave you thirsty. I saw festering wounds all over the person from, from being burnt and dehydrated. And, and I just gotta believe that that person is, is I don't know, maybe me, maybe you. Maybe one of you here, I don't know. Maybe all of us. The enemy has worked so hard to convince you that you don't have a choice and that you have to stay in that boat and, and, and die of thirst. But that is not the truth. You have a choice. You can continue to drink seawater and still be thirsty. Or you can choose life with the Father that is everlasting and, and is like food you know nothing about, satisfying. All you have to do is come to him and ask. And you're gonna mess up and you're gonna fall into old habits where you wanna pull out the plastic or go buy chocolate or whatever. You're gonna fall into old habits, but don't let the shame of that stop you from asking for forgiveness and drinking of the water again because the spring, the Holy Spirit inside of you is active and living. And when we sin and when we mess up, the enemy wants to shame you into just staying where you are, keeping the status quo, staying quiet, hiding in shame, deserted on this boat. But here's the thing, you have access to rescue. You do, but God won't force you into it. So I'm gonna open up this time for prayer. If, uh, if anybody would like to pray, um, I'm gonna invite some of my core team leaders forward to, to be available to pray with people. So um, if, if this is you, if you're that per person on the boat, I'm just putting that out in faith. I don't know if it's resonating with anybody, but I believe God gives us pictures and, and images for, for people, for others. And, and if we're not sharing them, if we're not, uh, if we're just like shooing them away, like we're not eating the food of, uh, of God. We're, we're, we're not drinking the water of life. We're, we're doing the Father's will is risky, right? It could cost you everything in culture. 
but culture won't be satisfying for you if you don't. So I'm gonna open this time up for prayer. If you wanna pray, just come to the front row here. Somebody will sit with you and pray. If I could have my core team members, my lead team come forward and uh, just be available to pray with people. And uh, we're gonna just sit in this moment for a little while. And if you wanna pray, come pray. And if you wanna pray with someone you came with, do that. In a, in a few moments, Chris will start the next song and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take our offering. But I just wanna leave space for God to work right now. Sometimes we're so quick to move on to the next thing for flow reasons that we don't leave space to deal with God and for God to work. So let's take advantage of this moment, okay? listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.